podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Basketball's coming to town, basketball's coming to town, basketball's coming to town. Scott's making a list, Grant's checking it twice, they're gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Basketball's coming to town. Basketballs are coming to town. Basketballs are coming to town. Ho, 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 boys. The boys are back and as always we are presented by mybookie.ag. They've been rolling with us. Almost since day one, they're our very first sponsor, and they're still going with us with the best promo on the internet when it comes to illegal uh, online sports gambling. If you use promo code CHAIR, you're getting a 100% deposit up to $1,000. Hey, you got NFL going. You got NBA going. College basketball, bowl games, FCS playoffs. You want it. You can gamble on it there, including Stuff is like crazy as Nor- Norwegian trap shooting, like anything. You want it, you can bet on it there. And then bluechew.com, promo code armchair for your first month free. Look, guys, it's cold out there. If you're having trouble getting it up or you want to get it up just a little bit harder, go to bluechew. You get your first month free, uh, only $5 shipping and handling. And all you have to do, fill out a questionnaire, and boom, same FDA-approved ingredients as you find in Cialis or Viagra. It's in a chewable, so it'll work up to 10 times faster. Those are our sponsors. Go check them out. We love them, and we love the Boneheads. And because we love the Boneheads, I got a very special guest today. It's been too long since our man has been on. I think it's been as long as his uh, Blitz Week Feature kicking off Blitz Week. It's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who won our basketball fantasy draft. He has the stats, he has the gifts. He's on press row now. It's everyone's favorite KSU underscore fan. Jimmy, how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good morning. We got snow here in Junction City. I'm sure you have it in Kansas City too. So, yeah, it is coming down right now. And uh, I, I was on Twitter. We're recording this before the Chiefs game. As of like five minutes ago, Sammy Watkins and Shady McCoy hadn't even gotten to Arrowhead because the great folks in uh, Kansas City have not gotten all the roads clear. So uh, how do you wow. like that? <laughs> first first their equipment, now their players. I know. I tell you what, it, there, there's a lot of issues with the Chiefs this year just getting equipment and players to the stadium. But uh, this isn't a Chiefs podcast. We will move on. Um a lot of stuff going on in the world of K-State sports, uh, especially for just a random week in December. It ended up being a pretty eventful week. The first thing I want to start on, and uh, it's probably the biggest news with the basketball program outside of the games, and that's the news of Sean Williams deciding he's going to transfer. 
Um, when he was do- on his suspension, I actually said on this podcast that I might be surprised if we saw him play again. I came off of that, and I actually was excited after seeing the way he shot the ball down in Florida. But after barely playing in the last couple of games, I think the writing was on the wall. Um, first off, were you surprised when you heard the news officially that Sean was going to transfer away from the team? No, I wasn't. I, I was um, – I'm kind of like you. I thought – this was coming. I was hopeful, like you said, after he came back and played decent in Florida and, and seemed to be, you know, hit some shots. He went four for seven from three down there, but you could tell there was something going on that wasn't good between him and Bruce or him and the program. And, and it seemed like it might be just a matter of time, especially the way kind of he came out of that Marquette game and didn't go back in the game. It was that was a pretty bad sign that it wasn't going to be good. Yep. On the emotional level, how, how does it feel to see him transferring away? I know it kind of hurt me, uh, you know, as a fan, because he was the guy that I really wanted to see kind of assume that role at point guard. I thought his ceiling could be super high. And part of me thinks it still will be high wherever he lands. Um, so I'm sad to see it happen, but I, I'm not criticizing Bruce or the program letting it go. I think we saw, you know, back in the market kids foster year, if there's someone who doesn't want to be there and if there's going to be problems, it's better to probably cut bait earlier rather than later. Um, on the emotional side of things, how, how do you feel? I mean, honestly, I agree that he had uh, some good athleticism and had potential to be a player, but numbers-wise, he really hasn't done anything in his career substantially you know, 25% from three, um, 29% from two, 58% from the free throw line, decent assist rate. I just think for for whatever reason, he's a kid that just never, at least here, never figured out how to, to buy in and, and play at this level, um, even though he had some pretty good examples. I think X is a good example, and, they, you know, they know each other pretty well. They're good friends from growing up together, but. I just don't think he ever figured it out and never made the connection with this this coaching staff or this team. And, you know, I, I kind of agree that at some point you got to kind of move on. And I think they had reached that point definitely um, probably earlier this year. But they, I think Bruce was extra patient with Sean and it just didn't work out. So with Sean leaving, what does that mean for the outlook of the guard position for rest of this season because I, I think we all were tr- really hoping that we'd be able to see Cardi play off the ball a little bit more. And uh, with Sean gone, there, the, the amount of guys who can really assume that lead role seems to be, you know, getting smaller and smaller every game. Well, I, I hope that Bruce backs up what he said after the game yesterday and that he should have played Sloan more um, because I definitely agree Um he didn't have great numbers yesterday, but the offense just seemed to be much better when he was in the game. And there's been other, there, there've been other times this year where that's been the case um, with Sloan. He's had some bad games too, but I'm, I expect that kind of from a Juco guy. But now that the, it does put pressure on him to be more consistent because there's no really real backup role. I mean, you could maybe slide Mike to the one or uh, John Gordon to the one, but, you're kind of you're right. You're out of options now, as far as the depth wise, um, with how you can play the point, and it does kind of force 
uh, Cartier to play the, the point, and that's, you know, you look at his assist, and that's really good, but then you look at some of the stretches yesterday when he was at the point, and the ball got stuck, and once the ball stuck, we, our offense wasn't very good. No, it was not, and then uh, when you start looking further on down the road, um, what do you think Sean's departure really means, you know, for maybe two, three years, or two years down the line? Um so much stuff changes in college basketball. So maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but when you look at a projected roster for the 2021, 22 season, um, you're not going to have any of the current guys on this roster who can play the one. You only have Nigel pack currently signed up in the next recruiting class. Um, do you think it might be important to go out and find another guy who can play with the ball in his hand for this upcoming recruiting class or do you think, hey, just pound it in 2021 and let Nigel just be the guy going into that season? Or do you think maybe even we see DeJuan Gordon, uh, you know, evolve to that point where he could be a guy who could take some minutes at the one? Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's always been talk that Gordon could could be a combo type guard that could play the one. And so you can you can you can work with that. But you're right. That does provide very little depth in a couple of years. So you almost have to go get a, get another guard um, either in this class or the next class, a Juco transfer, grad transfer that can play right away. So it does change the balance of the classes for sure. And, and how they work with those scholarships and recruiting will be a bit different probably than what they'd planned before the season started. Yep. One last thing on all of this, um, so with with Sean Williams transferring out, how much concern or judgment do you kind of look back at Bruce? Because this is the second time we've seen almost an entire recruiting class leave with eligibility on the table. Officially now, all three guys from the 2018 class left with eligibility with Trice, Good News, and Sean Williams leaving. Um, this is the second time we've seen it. Granted, this one happened a little bit more spread out instead of in the course of like three days, it's seeming uh, with that Marcus Foster class. But um, does that add any extra concern when you look at Bruce as a recruiter? Or is this, hey, we, we knew this could happen. We knew this was in Bruce's you know portfolio. It doesn't really change anything. I, I think a couple things. Number one, it's a I think it's a different situation because that was kind of a piece together class. Um, it wasn't a bunch of high school kids that didn't work out. It was one high school kid and a one kind of late signee high school kid and then a, a Juco. And I think, you know, I don't want to give them an excuse, but I think at a program at K-State, you take flyers. You have to take flyers once in a while in a class because um, I you're, you're trying to sell playing time. And in that situation, there wasn't a lot of playing time available right away, which is what kids want now. And so I think they took a chance. I think Sean Williams was the kid they really wanted from that class. So that's, that's the one that hurts is, is you lose a kid that obviously you put a lot of work into. The other two didn't concern me as much just because uh, one was a big flyer and one was just a Juco big that just didn't really work out. So, I can see that you'd have concern, but to me, it's a much different situation from the first really bad class Bruce had. So it's not as big a concern in that. Plus, you have these two back-to-back -back classes that have more, in my opinion, that have more made up for that 
bad class. So I think you can live with it as long as you don't have back-to-back classes like that, which would really get a program like K-State in trouble. Well, that's why we bring you on. You're much smarter, and that makes me feel a little bit better hearing hearing those words. So I feel a little bit better about that. But uh, you're going to have to put a lot of work in if you're going to make me feel a little bit better about Mississippi State. And, <laughs> uh, I, and I'm not asking you to because I don't think there's much to do it. I mean, it was another disappointing loss versus a team with a pulse. Um, at one point in the first half, up by as much as 12, I was feeling real good. But then I believe we had close to, if not an eight-minute field goal draft or drought in the first half, uh, which allowed the Bulldogs to tie it up right at the end of the half. And then after getting up to, I think, around five or six-point lead, another eight-minute drought in the second half, um, to, and then we just fade away and lost it. Um, how frustrating was it to see at periods of that game how well K-State could play only to turn around and have those long droughts and lose the game. I think it was by five or six when it was all said and done. Yeah, I I, I think I tweeted during the game, during the first half when, when K-State was playing really well, that this was the team kind of I think we expected to see this season. You know, I think the the issue becomes with this team is – both times we've seen them play really well. I think the first half against Pitt and the first half against Mississippi State up until the last four minutes, they hit threes. And it's not sustainable for this team to sh- to, to think they're going to shoot 40 50% from three for a game, even though they did end up 50% from Pitt. So there's a – I mean, it's, it's a Jim Woolridge quote, but there's a little bit of a fool's gold – from three with this team that I think we're seeing because the issue becomes this team can't finish around the rim and can't make two point jump shots. I mean, you, you shoot 32, 32% from two against Mississippi state. They shot 33% from two against Marquette and they shot 34 from two against Pitt. So those three, three games against major conference teams, you're shooting about 33% from two point range and you're just not going to beat, good teams if you can't make uh, a, a core of your shots from around the rim and even two-point jump shots. So to me, that that's the one thing that really stands out to me as I look at yesterday's game and the other th- uh, other three losses. Bradley was a little bit different because they were on fire from three, and and I don't think we really wanted to play that game too badly, So, which is, is a poor thing, another poor part of this team probably. Yep, and it's getting to the point where, you know, I think time's almost running out on uh, non-conference resume building. But I will say on one bright side, and, uh, you know, maybe, again, this is just me looking at it, just at the game and at the box score, but I thought Mike McGurl played really well. He went four of seven from the field, three of four from three, 14 points in the 27 minutes. Um, I was impressed with his game yesterday. What did you take away from Mike's game? Well, I – he's our most consistent player and he's, you know, it's hard to say he's our best player because he just doesn't possess and shoot the ball a lot. And he's the lowest possession guy on our team. Um, and the lowest at taking shots when he's in the game besides Murphy, who only played three games. So it's hard to call him your best player when he doesn't take a lot of shots, only scores seven points a game, but he's our most consistent player. He's shooting, 49% um, 
for the for the season, 47% from three. So he's doing a lot of things really well. But when your best player is you're a role player, basically, a role starter, that you're not going to be very good. Nope, and we have not been very good so far. Um, I, I was a little surprised when I went back and read the box score after I watched the game to see Cardi ended up with 20 points, but he didn't have a single assist and it looked like, at least correct me if I'm wrong, if you saw it differently, but it looked like he just really wasn't looking to distribute the ball yesterday. It seemed to me like he came into the game thinking to himself, hey, I need to be the guy. I have to make stuff happen. And like you said, uh, due to the way he was playing, he kind of trapped the ball and he was forced to either throw up deep jump shots or take circus shots at the rim because he wasn't looking to pass the ball uh, do I have an accurate description of that, or did you see something else from Cardi's game? No, I'd say that's that's very accurate for what I saw as well. Now, you know, we missed shots at the rim, and I don't know how many would have been could have been potentially assists for Cardi, which also plays a factor, which is you know kind of why assists can be kind of a funny stat sometimes if you look at it wrong. But even you look at K State's game is. You know, K-State only had assists on 50% of their made shots, which, you know, we can argue whether or not that stat's valid, but for, I think for Bruce's offense, it's valid. And if, if K-State's not getting assists on 65 70% of their made shots, it probably means the offense isn't moving the way it needs to. And, you know, I think that definitely was the case yesterday, especially in the second half, as, as K-State bogged down, especially down the stretch the last eight minutes and just couldn't make shots. And, you know, and I, I go back to, you know, when when Sloan was in the game, I think Sloan really tries to keep the ball moving. And it, the ball sticks with Cardi too much. And then he tries to make plays. And he made a few yesterday, which he hadn't been making so far this year, which was good. But then when it becomes a possession game, the last seven or eight minutes in a close game like that, you can't afford to give away possessions and take bad shots and have turnovers like case they did too often. And I think a lot of that was due to the ball getting stuck. And when that happens, K-State's a really bad offensive team because they don't have a guy that can go make plays very consistently, even, even in Cardi. Yep. And then two of the guys who we really wanted to make plays, and I think it's become evident that they are just much more dependent on players around them than being able to do it themselves is Xavier Seen and McCall Mayween. Um, the team as a whole went 14 of 43 from the field, if I'm looking at it correctly, but Xavier Seen and Mack combined just to go three of 17 from the field. Mack also had seven turnovers. Um, you know, at one point it was looking like he was destined to have double digit turnovers, but have we gotten deep enough into the season and seen them versus enough quality teams to basically give up on the idea that these guys uh, can be true focal points of a tournament team. And then have we also just seen that, Hey, Cardi just doesn't possess the, you know, game breaking borderline all American skill it would take to lead a team like this to the tournament. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say we're, you know, we can start to make those points. I mean, you look at, I mean, I, I always start with X cause I, thought he would be our best player this year, if not our, or our second best player. You know, and you look at the K-State losses, he shot 31% from two in those four games. He shot 19% from three in those four games. 
and scored 10.5 points, 10.5 points per game in those four, but, you know, on way too many shots. You know, when you, when you're scoring 10 points on over 11 shots, that's not very good. And uh, offensive rating in those games is 0.86, which is is not very good. You know, you want you want a, a all Big 12 caliber guy like at the wing to be 1.05 to 1.1, and X isn't close to that against good competition. And then, frankly, Mac Mac might have played the worst game of his career at K State yesterday. And the the disappointing thing with him is to see how He's gotten worse every year. His first season, he had a 1.11 offensive rating. Last year, he had a 0.95 offensive rating, and now he's down to 0.88. And he had one of the best two-point percentage seasons ever his first year here at 62%, 54% last year, and right now he's at 41% from two. So he's just regressed pretty badly, and he's he's become a better rebounder. Um, his rebounding numbers have gone up every year, but – you know, we need him to score a little bit, and he's just not able to do that right now. Yeah, and it's it's just, I don't know. I I, I don't know if I'm quite here yet, but I, I'm almost to the point, if I'm not, of giving up hope that this team can figure it out and make a run into the NCAA tournament. Like I said, 0-4 versus teams with a pulse is what I'd call them. Um, yeah. Do you have any sort of hope, or if we are going to have hope, what do we need to see over the next, you know, three non-conference games to at least, you know, go into conference play and think to yourself, well, you know, maybe if maybe if this and this happens, we, we could find our way in. What are you looking for in the next three to give you that, you know, hope to have that optimism? Well, you've got St. Louis and Tulsa, neither of which are all that great. I mean, St. St. Louis isn't bad. They're eight and two. They beat. Belmont, which is a top 100 Ken Palm team, but lost pretty big to Seton Hall and lost a decent, decently close game to Auburn. So they're not awful. Uh, Tulsa, I, I was watching a little bit yesterday. They got drilled by Arkansas pretty bad. They lost to Arkansas State as well, and they lost to UT Arlington. So Tulsa's about what they've been under Frank Haynes. is a pretty mediocre team that seems to always beat us, so we can't lose that one. And then Alabama's later in January, and they're frankly not very good this year either. They're four and five. Now they have played a, played a brutal schedule, one of the top schedules in the country, but uh, they don't really have a significant win. Furman is their best win. So you look at those three, you're not going to get a resume win in those three games. Um, so you have to get them in the Big 12. Now the good thing is the Big 12 is, you know, one of the best conferences again. Not maybe at the top, but from top to bottom, it's going to be first or second rated conference in almost every uh, rating. Maybe the Big Ten, Big East will challenge the Big 12 a little bit, but they're going to be really solid conferences. And you have the round robin, so you have chances to get wins. But it's going to be a lot tougher. Uh, this team probably has to go, you know, 10 and 8 maybe in the Big 12 to to have a chance at the tournament. I, I, it's hard for me to see that happening with with the way they've played against decent team, like you say, teams with a poll so far this year. Well, I, uh, I agree with you. I think, I think the key is going to have to be 10 wins and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the optimistic side of me is just thinking to myself, you know, if, if X and Cardi and Mac have a come to Jesus meeting and they 
set to turn it on. We've seen at their peaks, these guys are good enough to do it. It's just coming down to the fact that none of the three have been anywhere close to as consistent or efficient enough. And uh, it's really disappointing. I, I guess my final basketball question I'd ask before we touch a little bit on some of the big uh, bat or football recruiting news is um, if things continue to go this direction and uh, they don't figure it out and either limp into the NIT or maybe miss it altogether, where would this season rank for you as one of the most disappointing, uh, you know, in the modern post Wooldridge era of basketball? Yeah, I'd, I would say um, it would be up there. I mean, 2015 was probably the most disappointing season um, that I can that I'd go with with that era of basketball, just because that team was not very good and the Marcus Foster mess that happened that year. I'm, I'm not. We'll see if this season ends up as bad as that one. I'm not sure it will, but um, if I mean. Going under 500, and to me, you got to get to eight wins in the league and stay above 500 and, and make the NIT and then, you know, build off it into the next season. If it if it's much worse than that, then it's – it may – I mean, it could crater and be worse than the 2015 year, but I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, 2016, I've looked at a little bit better because that team was better and was going in the right direction, which built into, you know – Barry, Dean, and Cam being a good core, but 15 was the worst season we've seen since since Woolridge was here. Definitely. Uh, we will wrap up talking a little bit about uh, football recruiting because the first signing day is just around the corner on the 18th. Um, you know, and against all odds, and this is one of the craziest things I've seen or I would have thought, is we haven't lost a single verbal commit throughout this entire process when it comes to uh, the climbing era. Um, that's just kind of shocking to me in this day and age of college football. And, you know, you see that so much more than basketball. Are you surprised that we haven't lost a single guy who has given their verbal commitment to Chris Kleiman since he took over just over a year ago? No, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a surprise, but I think they did – if you do your work early in recruiting and get the guys you want, um, which I think this staff really focused on doing, I think you can hold on to guys a little bit better. And I think that's what they did well. And, uh, you know, it's a good class. I can't be disappointed with, you know, being 40s and 50s. You know, I, you, you hope we start getting classes maybe into the 30s. But to me, if 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 they show that they're the developer of talent that they showed this year, I think getting classes in the 40s um, is gonna is gonna keep this program in pretty good shape. You know, you, you hope they go beyond that, but um, it's it's just tougher to recruit some of those four or five star kids to, to K State. But if you can load up on high level three star kids, then you can build a program. Yeah, and I think that the fact that they did this on so little time to connect uh it's it really speaks a lot um i think by the time folks listen to this you might be hearing about another high uh high three-star kid out of georgia with tons of great offers there's some juco guys that seems like will end up in the fold by the 18th 
Um, so when it is said and done, we're going to be in that 40 to 50 range. And that's without developing all of those relationships. I think the whole, you know, case study of this is what we see just in the state of Kansas, because just in the past couple weeks, K-State has gotten three of the top five of the 2021 class uh, in the state of Kansas. And that's because this coaching staff has been able to start those relationships with these kids at the end of their sophomore year, all through their junior year. I think that's setting us up to see what they might be able to do. Um, I'll run through them just real quickly. Uh, Devontae Pritchard, he's sitting at a 5'7", three-star over on Rivals, the number one kid in the state of Kansas currently. I think he may end up as a four-star before it's all said and done. Uh, Derek Young over at KSA Online does a great job. He was saying that he could end up playing safety or linebacker, depending on how his body takes to the weight training up at the Division One level. Uh, Dorian Stevens, currently the number four player in the state of Kansas, could play as a wide receiver or uh, defensive back. And Noah Boltkoff, uh, the number two player in the state of Kansas and rivals, he also, I think, has a shot being a four-star by the time it's all said and done. Uh, it sounds like he's going to play guard, but uh, some folks are saying he could play tackle as well. So first, how great is it that you're getting these high-quality uh, verbal commitments, three of the top four in the state of Kansas, this early, a full year before signing day? And do you think this might be a sign of things to come with this coaching staff? Well, it's it's a great sign that they've put in the work to get relationships with these kids while they're juniors and, and get, them, get them on board this early. Um, I really like that two of them are from the Kansas City area as well, which is, you know, Kleinman talked about and had success recruiting Kansas City when he was at North Dakota State. And so getting some of those Kansas City kids, I think, which is, you know, probably the most talent-rich part of the state for us, Kansas City, Kansas, and Missouri. And then, you know, we'll see if we can get some kids out of Wichita and things like that, where there's also going to be some D1 kids regularly. So just seeing that they put in the work and got relationships with kids and, and it paid off early is a good sign. Now, now you got to go, you know, find some good kids from Texas or California or the South, um, Florida to bring in as well. Cause you're still gonna have to get, you know, we can't just recruit Kansas and hope that is going to be enough, but early returns for, for that next class is really, really good. Yep, and then one, one little thing uh, that I will probably always wonder in the back of my head, uh, is there part of you that's going to have this what if uh, when it comes to Coach Klein and this staff that if you know Bill might have uh, stepped away or been asked to step away a year earlier, if we were to have gotten Kleiman a year earlier, what type of work he could have done on this 2020 class that I believe when it's all said and done is going to produce the most – Power five and the most FBS talent of any Kansas high school class uh, since rivals has been a thing, at least since 1998. Is there part of you that kind of thinks, well, damn, if they could have had a little bit more time with those kids, we might have seen the Turner Corcoran's, maybe the Kai Thomas or Thomas's uh, end up in purple instead of leaving the state. Yeah, I, I think that would have made a big impact. I think to me, to me, the biggest thing is, is backing up, uh, the relationships they built and the way they sold the program to these kids with going eight and four was what was ultimately sold them. Cause you know, the kids are still going to hear this. I'm sure everybody was still hearing, well, this, this, how this staff hasn't shown they can win at this level, which is going to be the knock was the knock coming in. And once they showed, you know, we could beat, beat Oklahoma, dominate KU beat Iowa state at the end 
all teams we recruit against, I think that was gigantic. And if he would have had another year to do that before, I, I do think he would have pulled in two or three more of these kids that are going elsewhere this next season. Well, luckily, I think uh, I think we're on on a path to see some high quality recruiting for this staff and really uh, start bringing in some of those top kids in Kansas. Again, it's been far too long since we've had the number one player in the state of Kansas come to K-State. So hopefully we hold on to all those guys and it stands. Um, I'll ask this real quick before we wrap up. Um, were you able to watch any of the Army Navy game yesterday? And how do you think K-State is going to be able to deal with that uh, Navy offense in the bowl game? And then uh, also I'll plug this real quick. You did, as always, an amazing job breaking down all this stuff over on K-State Online with all your gifts. Um, if listeners aren't over there at K-State Online, not only do you get all the high-quality stuff that uh, you know Matt and Derek and Grant uh, do over there, but that's where you're posting your stuff. And quite, quite frankly, I think that's worth the price of admission already. So um, thank you for all you do over there. But what do you see from uh, Navy? Uh, that's going to be a challenge in that bowl game. Well, the the biggest thing is the discipline on defense to play against um, option football, which is what what Navy does. I mean, they and I, I just it's maybe it's sort of a pet peeve of mine. It probably doesn't matter to a lot of people, but people call it a triple option offense, and triple option is a big part of their offense. But it's they do so much other stuff. I mean, triple offense is not even fifteen percent of what they do that I track because I went through and watched all their offensive plays from six different games and kind of charted them out and what they ran, what formations they ran. But they run a lead option. They run mid-line option. They run power option. They run zone read, which, interestingly, they ran more zone read uh, with success against Army than, than they had in any of the other games I watched, which was a, a different switch that they did. But, you know, really it comes down to stopping the quarterback, Malcolm Perry, because he's the one kid that can – break it and even in the Notre Dame game even though they weren't very successful against by far the best defense they played Malcolm Perry still had some big plays in that game and they probably should have had seven to ten points at halftime seven or ten more points at halftime than just the three they had against Notre Dame Uh, but the key was they couldn't stop Notre Dame and and I hope that's the same with us as we play them but yeah they're they're a challenge but if your guys are disciplined and, and do their jobs and, and, and I also think Hazleton will have some stuff that will give them problems because he likes to get guys on the move and do some blitzes and stunts, which you, to me, you have to do against a, an option style offense too. Well, I am really looking forward to that bowl game. Uh, sadly, I think that's a direct correlation with how, disappointed I've been in basketball, but you know what? Yeah. It is what it is. It's a life of being a college sports fan. I absolutely love it. Um, that's all I had on the outline today. I first want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Um, are you going to be in Kansas City for the game in the Sprint Center by any chance? No, I don't, I don't think I'm planning on going just because we'll have stuff going on before uh, the holidays start and finishing up. Um, before before that but um to be and partially it's it's not very intriguing to go right now but but i'll be watching it for sure and charting and statting and all that stuff that i do so oh. hope, i hope they play a lot better well i will be there um I, I i so i'll just have to give you my christmas wish now i i 
you know, I, I've told you this before. I'll tell you this again. I remember when I was much younger and you were posting all your advanced stuff over at goema.com and I, I wouldn't pay much attention to it at all. But, uh, <laughs> as I grew up, I start I started reading it and it really changed the way I watch both football and basketball. So I challenge any of our listeners who aren't following you on Twitter. It is KSU underscore fan, correct? Yes. Yep. So make yes. sure that you're following him. And then if you're over at KSO, anytime you're doing any of your gift breakdowns, any of your advanced stat breakdowns, it truly changes the way uh, you you watch games. And it, it, it enhances, enhances it for me. So uh, I want to thank you for really opening my mind to some of this type of stuff and calling me out when I need it. But uh, luckily, I think, or not, <laughs> actually, unluckily, uh, Mac has kind of turned me into uh, – you know, being right, at least so far this season. So hopefully yeah. he turns it around and I can get uh, called out for that very soon. But I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, I will see you on all the message boards. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can hang out soon because it's been too long. Sounds good, man. Merry Christmas to you, too, and hope you have a good uh, holiday break. Perfect. All right, uh, Boneheads, that's all we got for you. We will be coming to you midweek, hopefully. Hopefully Grant gets back on. Uh, he, he's only been on one out of the last, I think, four or five shows. So everyone tweet at Grant, tell him he's being a slacker and uh, get him back on the show. I think he's hanging out at the cat head for you guys to meet him. Uh, Merry Christmas. We love all the boneheads. And, uh, yeah, let's keep rocking and let's see if Bruce can turn some stuff around. So uh, go cats, I guess. <laughs> go cats. <laughs> Well, the pilgrims have left us, the thanks are all given. Black Friday is here, decorating's begun. By tomorrow, the malls will have snow freshly driven. We've got 31 days to Christmas. To Christmas. Although it seems early to me. To Christmas. Outside, it's like 50 degrees. To Christmas. The leaves, they still cling to their trees. There's a chill in the air, a spice latte is calling The Starbucks cups turn into red like the leaves We should think about shopping, but instead we are stalling We've got 24 days to Christmas To Christmas Open a bottle of wine To Christmas December, our favorite time To Christmas Unveil a new corporate design We've got 24 days Thank the baby Lord Jesus that now we've got Amazon. We've got seven whole days to Christmas. To Christmas. Good Lord, where has all the time gone? To Christmas. The gift will be dependent on. To Christmas. Which spy is offering a group high? We've got seven whole days to Christmas. Christmas Eve's finally here and hot toddies we're drinking. The stockings are hung with the utmost of care. Somewhere in the night we hear carolers singing. It is just one night till Christmas.
to Christmas. Raise a glass while we all cheer to Christmas. Fill it with whiskey or beer to Christmas. It's the most fun time of year. Sixty-five days to Christmas. Now the big day is past and we sit here perplexed. Post-holiday blues are upon us right now. So with nothing to drink to, we look toward the next. Carry the one. It is only six days to New Year's. To New Year's. We all thought the party was done. To New Year's. Then along comes the year's biggest one. To New Year's. Sure that we'll have much more fun. Sports Social Podcast Network.